I'm Carrie Brett, and this is Shot at Love. Today's topic is about the power of mindset and how to manage and control our response to others when dating. This week's guest is Special Victims Investigator Will Kesselman, and he's an expert in dynamics and repetitive patterns. He'll share what he's learned on the job, his acquired skills in psychology, coaching, consulting, and advanced knowledge around trauma so we can sharpen our skills around judgment, decide which people to avoid, and who is worthy of our time. He'll share strategies he's used to lead thousands of women to safety and his theories around emotional reactions so you can stay in control and remain in power. When we come back, we'll discover that you don't have to be phenomenally skilled to succeed, you need to be phenomenally willed. And if you want to find love, you absolutely can, as long as you stay determined, because where there's a will, there's a way. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. Will Kesselman is a special victims investigator, social impact strategist, speaker, and founder and president of Control and Power Strategy, a domestic violence, divorce consulting, and trauma coaching agency. After experiencing trauma himself, he chose to dedicate his life to protecting others. With over 14 years of experience through consulting and coaching, Will continues to help empower mostly women and sometimes men to protect themselves even potentially saving lives. Through his company, Will specializes in revealing to his clients the hidden information known mostly to government, investigators, police, and judges, and how they think and react to situations. Will has helped thousands navigate government and community systems to safety. Will has also recently been on a live private Facebook group for domestic violence with over 10,000 members, podcasts, and a radio show on KLAA for Southern California. Today, he'll teach us that we can respond differently to how others treat us, and that we can be in control of our feelings and our emotions. This is going to be a great episode, so without further ado, welcome Will Kesselman. Hi, Will. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm excited to hear Will's wise words today. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. That's very funny. (laughs) So bring us up to speed regarding your story. What led you to become an expert in narcissistic abuse and become a special victims investigator or or your passion around helping others? Yeah, so so as a child, I uh, was abused by a dominant parent. I was also bullied and teased both in school and the community where I grew up. Um, similar to where you are in, in Boston, not not the city proper, but the outskirts, you have a lot of grass and space and everything else. So where I grew up in Montreal, there was a lot of space as well. So the house where I grew up was, was next to a park. So even in the park where I would try to seek refuge, I um, wasn't always able to to have that calm or that sense of peace that I was trying to sort of find. Um, however, when I got to high school, I was able to make sort of, not just friends, but make, um, certain sort of strides. I was able to sort of find my way a little bit and, uh, realize that not only have a voice, but I can make an impact. Um, I view trauma that similar to substance abuse, where we're always trying to grow, but there isn't like a a finality where you're not going to sort of. Um, achieve a hundred percent, you know, uh, getting well, you're always, you know, quite well or very well or whatever, but never a hundred percent. You're always trying to work on yourself. 
or myself, I should say. Uh, and so given some of the, the, the wins in high school and, but not fully growing enough, I went into similar patterns again. And so I ended up marrying a narcissist. Since I was married to a narcissist for a little over nine years, I'm now divorced for give or take six years. And my personal uh, experiences, as well as now, for the last almost 15 years, being a special victims investigator, both sets of experiences have allowed me to um, have an understanding. Uh, not everyone sees it as I'm learning more and more as an entrepreneur, uh, as well as uh, as a special victims investigator for you know a number of years now. Uh, and I'm able to, um, let's just say, sort of impart or show or illustrate, you know, some of the patterns, some of the issues, some of the concerns that uh, may, some may not actually see. And so, you know, that's where it's from. I personally um, really am passionate about not having anyone take away someone's voice. So for myself, let's say, I'll use the I as an example. So, you know, I or anyone listening, I, you know, want to be able to be seen and heard on equal footing. And so for me, it's very important that, you know, I allow, in this case, myself to see my power, to see, you know, that my voice matters, that what I say matters, that I can make a difference. Um yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me, I guess. Awesome. Well, I love how much work you've done on yourself, and you're very aware. And I love meeting people who know a lot of information about challenges that people have. And you learned about the power of mindset, and you kind of controlled your own destiny because you had a lot of adversity, but you used that to seed your future. And so many successful people do that. Now, when I talk about the power of your mindset, people can either choose to look at fear and focus on fear. And fear is one of the things that hold people back, especially in finding love. How, in a job that you have, I'm sure fear is ever present. Is that true? Yeah, fears, fears in a lot of places. And even as investigators, if we ourselves don't feel any fear, that's when it's time to retire, honestly. Um, whether it's police, whether it's what we do, or anyone who's a first responder, any first responder will tell you that if, if you, proverbial you, don't have um, some fear and awareness as well, then, you know, then there's then it's probably time to either hang it up or it's time to you know reassess or get some help or whatever because there's something there whether it's post traumatic stress disorder or, or a number of other things. But in terms of uh, my clients, um, fear is a big deal, especially when you're going through trauma, and it's not just um, sort of how most people view fear. Yeah, okay, they're afraid of the perpetrator, they're afraid of the narcissist, they're afraid of you know, the, what they're dating, for example, the potential boyfriend who might be, you know, dominant or inappropriate or uncaring or unloving or unkind. Um, but, but fear goes deeper than that. Fear and emotions play a role in a lot of what we do. So when we talk about, in my case, as a trained trauma coach, when I talk about trauma coaching or coming from that perspective, we're talking about the, what I call a continuum of thoughts leading to emotions, leading to behaviors, and they can go in either direction. And very often, as um, let's say people, we sort of lump emotions and thoughts together. 
uh, partly because things become sort of habitual. We sort of, you know, see something, we fear it. And, and so we don't always sort of separate the two a little bit, um, which would help in how you, I, whoever would assess whatever's, whatever's going on. Um, I'm not sure what else you'd like me to discuss when it comes to fear. Okay. So you talk about this fear creates thoughts and the thoughts create the emotions and we have more control over how we process the things that happen to us. So for example, if people are online dating and they have a series of bad dates or somebody says something mean to them and they get hurt, they tend to jump off the dating app and they quit. I hate that when that happens because you're giving that awful person the power. And and pain really clouds your judgment. And you really should stay on the dating site and keep going and work through the pain. But when it comes to the matters of the heart, you can either take that pain and put it into something positive and allow that pain to catapult you forward, or you can just give up. So you've really mastered your mindset, and you have a good understanding of anger, frustration, pain, and your golden rule is that you need to be responsive, not reactive. Can you, t- can you tell the listeners why that's helped you in your life? Sure. Just to clarify from before, behaviors can lead to emotions, can lead to thoughts, or thoughts to emotions to behaviors. They can go in either direction, just to make sure that's clear. And thank you for your kind words. Um, so in terms of sort of dating and finding one's voice, like, I, I hear you when you say, for example, um, you know, it, it, you shouldn't let the, the, the person who's being inappropriate, who's being maybe dominant or, or, or causing pain, have them win but more importantly the person themselves should feel empowered like for me it's so important to work with clients or anyone i mean whether it's i help someone or it's a client or whatever um but to sort of empower people but for people to feel their own power because you know who and where, where we come from in terms of our, our energy our, our sense of self and, and self-worth and and self-esteem and all those those pieces it matters in who we're going to attract and so, you know, there's a lot of work that sort of has to happen, in my opinion, from the get-go before you sort of send a text on Bumble or a message on Bumble or a message on Tinder or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I just wanted to sort of point that out and clarify that it really is the person themselves, the I, forgetting about the other person, because one should have their own power. It shouldn't be a focus on the other person. So you're so correct. How you show up in dating is internal. It starts with you. It's your positive attitude about it, your belief system, can you find love? And you talk about having control over yourself. And one of the things that women do so much is they easily and freely hand their power over to men. And it's a big problem. As a man, you have a really good sense of women. And one of the things that you talked to me about, which was fascinating, was men and women date differently and fall in love differently. And this was incredible that you told me. You said women don't trust themselves 
and always have a gatekeeper. You're the first person to bring this to my attention, but you're spot on. Can you talk about this clearance process women have and who is their gatekeeper? Yeah, so just <laughs> just to clarify, it's not that women don't trust themselves. There's an, an aspect of recognition that sometimes feelings can cloud judgment. And in that context, there could be that recognition of not trusting that process 100% and relying on others just to make sure the decisions that a woman makes, for example, are sound. And the other part of what I mentioned was also that we're talking about women in a traditional sense. We're not talking about, um, you know, perhaps some of the more different dynamics now in terms of identity and everything else. Um, but ultimately, we're talking about, um, you know, a woman traditionally, then, then yes, that, that, would, that would be that, that piece. So when we talk about women dating, women, so what, again, I'll speak from I in terms of my perspective and, and my anecdotal understanding. So my understanding of women is as follows. Women often are sort of thinking, and, and part of that is um, through sort of the need of survival. So if men have predominantly been the dominant species, then usually those who fall, who aren't dominant, I should say, you know, then we're talking about sort of thinking and how to, re how to react or versus responding to certain situations. And so women often think, and a lot of times when I was dating, you know, the, the general idea was that women would prefer not to have to think. They would rather the guy make decisions, partly for that reason. Some women do want to think, and that's great. Some women do want to make decisions. That's also great. But in general, that decision-making piece um, can be helpful because women sometimes just want to turn their mind off. They want to quiet their mind. And you see this also with trauma and other situations of mental health or, or environments of mental health where women often discuss about the need or want to quiet their mind a little bit uh, as a way of, of, I don't know, healing or or therapy or, or recharging or whatever the, you know, whatever that, that word might be. And so that's sort of where I was coming from when we talk about that. And so when we talk about dating itself, right? So guys, we think as men that we have to be dominant. And part of the issue with that is we're not always taught by our parents, mom or dad or both, um, what the balance of respect versus dominance is or are, depending on the grammar. So that plays a role. And sometimes men, and I'm not condoning it all, but sometimes men get the wrong idea and they think that being a man means that I have to make all the decisions. And that's not the case at all. It's manly and it's dominant to still ask your date, for example, you know, would you like this or that or whatever the case is. Or whenever I date, I get two choices in terms of the date. And I give the, the whole sort of rundown in terms of, you know, um, the, the two options, where they're, where they're located, types of places they are, other er things in the area, that kind of thing. Uh, even if the date's going to go for an hour or less, I still want to make sure that the person who I'm with has that decision, that ability to decide. And so that's sort of the point for, from the male perspective. But for the female perspective, um, yes, women want to, on some level, be um, pampered and cared for and be given attention and all those things. So obviously for a guy turning your phone off is like key <laughs> or ignoring your phone or putting on silent is key. Men view dating as if they have to be in control and they don't always have a clear understanding of what control should be. They may not get it correctly from their parents. They 
um, sort of have this understanding that they should be making all these decisions when control doesn't mean make decisions. Control means offering a few things so the woman feels pampered and cared for. I mean, it boils down to if someone gives someone else attention, if the guy gives a woman attention, then the woman feels that attention. If the guy, you know, shows that he planned out a date, he took the time to plan it out, to be mindful of the woman. Perhaps the woman had mentioned over on the phone or, or a message on Tinder or Bumble or whatever, or, I don't know, uh, uh, coffee meets bagel, who knows what, um, you know, that they are allergic to whatever. So again, if the guy can, you know, put two and two together, <laughs> it's a little helpful you know, for for him to, you know, not, you know, put, have a date in, I don't know, having shrimp if the person's allergic to shrimp, for example. So, you know, just that mindfulness, that, that extra sense of, oh, wait a second, she likes this or she doesn't like that. Those are elements that guys don't always get. So, you know, let's go back to your question for a split second in terms of women, right? So women do... Uh, oftentimes have that one person they rely on. Uh, again, women, in my opinion, are more in tune with their feelings. And that's, and that's huge. I, I personally am a big now. I mean, me back way back when is a different story, but me now, you know, I'm a very big um, proponent of, you know, having a connection to your feelings. As a guy, I think that sometimes it's okay to cry. Um, sometimes it may not be okay to cry in public, depending on where you are, just because of certain dynamics. But it should be that it's okay for a guy to cry, that it's still manly for a guy to cry. Same thing with a manly for a guy to express his feelings. And so, you know, there's that element where women, in my opinion, women appreciate a guy who does express himself because sharing is a form of attachment for women. Women speak a different language than men, as you had asked sort of at the beginning of all this, uh, in terms of going back to a loop, if you will. You know, women view connection through conversation. Conversation is part of connecting in a, not just understanding someone, but bonding, sharing, connecting, being willing to be vulnerable and open. Whereas men are taught vulnerability is sort of not, you know, not manly in a lot of ways. You have to sort of suck it up, quote unquote, or you have to, you know, uh, not show emotion or say or do certain things. So there's those elements to it. Um, you know, I can go on more about dating and stuff. You let me know which way that which, which direction you want me to go in. Okay, so before I go, I want to talk about the men can't cry and how women want someone who has a heart and is connected to them. But before I do, I want to talk about the one thing I asked was about the gatekeeper, and men don't mm-hmm. do that. So tell me, so a gatekeeper is like <laughs> that girl's That's best right. friend, and I yes. found that so interesting. So tell me a little bit more about that. Why you notice that, sure. or or that's the sure. clear? Oh yeah, no, it's it's obvious. It's obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, guys, guys may rely on a group of friends, but they usually don't. They're they're able, or whether they're able to in, in the best way for themselves or not is a different story. But they will make decisions on their own, on their own. And so, uh, whereas women, women tend to do things more socially also women are more social in general so it makes more sense that a woman you know would want not as it a group decision but more of sort of just sort of like i said before in terms of that communication aspect where women you know sort of communicate with each other they talk to each other and that's how they feel connected well again going back to something something we discussed uh, the other day where um, behaviors, it takes between 18 and 254 days to have a behavior sort of become habitual. 
Okay. And so if when growing up, certain things become ingrained, they become natural. So men, it's not natural for them to start telling all their friends everything. They may make certain jokes. They may play video games. They may do sports. They may do whatever. Or if they're more of the nerdy side of things, they may do, um, you know, coding or whatever. And all that is cool. Women, they may do all those things, but the way they do it is different. They, they, excuse me, the, the group is more, in my opinion, and understanding the group is more essential. And it's not just having the group. It's the bonding through that group and the communication through that group. So if you're naturally inclined, and you're naturally, that's like your natural thing to do because you've sort of learned it through time, then you're going to rely on that one friend or more. Sometimes women have two or three friends. Uh, I've had it a few times where, you know, it's not just the one person who I have to sort of get past if I'm dating. It's two or three friends um, because, again, that woman has a connection to two or three friends in their inner circle. And women have, you know, layers of, of, of circles and whatever. Men do too, but women, tend, in my opinion, tend to have it a bit more. Um, and so it's that inner circle of most trusted friend or friends that really play a role in certain decisions. Like for example, someone may bounce an idea off somebody else. Hey, do you think this is crazy? Or, hey, do you think whatever? Or, Hey, I want to go bungee jumping. You know, all those things truly, truly play a role. Um, because again, it's about sort of not, de- not, not development as a child, because that's, that's too sort of off in this particular case. But we're talking about sort of social norms and what's socially acceptable. Like some guys may just wear some crazy shirt, like a plaid shirt uh, in, the, in the summer, and they don't really care. Whereas women often care a bit more in terms of, you know, uh, for example, going to a cocktail party. And they don't know it's a cocktail party. So they'll ask the guy, the guy at the date, hey, are we going to a cocktail party? Or, Here we were going because they want to dress appropriately for it. Whereas guys, they care, but they care less. You know, that's sort of where I'm going with, you know, this social aspect and being mindful and all those pieces. I'm not sure if I explained it clearly enough, but you let me know if there's gaps or anything more you want me to explain. No, I like this. And women are more expressive and connected. And as women, we become addicted to someone we're dating more so than men. And that was something that you, you talked to me about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also... I can go on we are more focused on finding love. I think it's because we are mm. so connected. Just like you gave that example of the cocktail party, like we want to know what to wear. A guy's not going to spend all day thinking about that, but a girl will. That's right. And so right. Um, we do approach this dating or finding love totally different. And now you told me that women are more focused on finding love because we need to feel safe and we need to feel safe and we need to feel safe or we can be obsessed or addicted around the thoughts of finding love. Is this how women get all screwed up, which ultimately leads them to hand over their power to someone else because of like their obsession about it? Yeah. So I wouldn't use the word screwed up, but I do hear you. Um, So what I would say is as follows. So sometimes we focus on, on the wrong thing. For example, if you're in a, a car, especially if you're in the Northeast and in the winter and the car is skidding, very often we're focused on what we don't want to hit, <laughs> whether it's the tree or whatever, as opposed to where we do want to go. And so this analogy is really, really important to sort of remember for a split second. So when we talk about dating and focusing on love, 
oftentimes as people, we focus on love. We don't realize what I call an underlying condition or the underlying aspects to it. It's not entirely love that we want. Like you mentioned, the comfort is one very important aspect. It's also another part of it is um, in terms of our body chemistry. There's a word I'm not remembering, but it's basically body chemistry and and chemicals and and those pieces. Like the, the serotonin, more I think. Someone, is it like serotonin? Yeah, or? serotonin, yeah. So, well, no, it's actually dopamine. Serotonin is for sleep. In my case, what I'm referring to is more dopamine, okay? And so when we have something good that happens to us, even if we're eating sugar or carbohydrates, there is a chemical response in the body that sort of encourages us as people to do the same thing again because we, we want what feels good. And so what feels good is that, you know, euphoria of love, especially when you're first in love with someone and you're on cloud nine and you don't have to always sleep <laughs> or you can sleep less or whatever, you know, th- that isn't the be all and end all, but what is part of that addiction is internally what's secreted, which is the dopamine. And so let's say, for example, a man and a woman, they have, uh, they sit together, they have relations, whatever you want to call it. Okay. So chemicals are secreted, especially if there's orgasm, more chemicals are secreted and the bond becomes stronger and stronger. If you're just dating, there's still a bond, especially if you shared laughter, laughter again, doesn't always secrete, doesn't only, I'm sorry, secrete endorphins. It doesn't secrete other chemicals in the body. And it's those chemicals that begin to create a bond or a connection, male to female, if we're talking about a heterosexual relationship. And then again, we're talking about a same-sex couple, female to female, male to male, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that chemical aspect of bonding is huge and, and it plays a role, not just in the dating process and the need for dating and the need or the the hype, if you will, on uh, Valentine's Day, for example, and I have no date and everything else, whatever, but it also plays a role in terms of trauma bonding. And if, if you go in that, that other direction, which I'm not going to go in entirely, but just something to mention that if you go in that direction, you know, there's a reason why that bond, and it's, a called, it's, it's not called Stockholm Syndrome anymore, it's called trauma bonding, which is a far more expressive way of explaining it. And so that's sort of what I wanted to sort of just piece in. But more importantly, when you're talking about dating again, Women secrete more, from my understanding, I could be wrong here, but women secrete more chemicals when it comes to orgasm and it comes to certain aspects. Um, because, again, they're more connected to emotion, they're more connected to other pieces. Again, I could be wrong. Um, but that lends a role. And it's not just that a woman is feeling more secure from the man or more secure in a relationship in terms of Again, remember we talked about being social and relying on friends and relying on others. So a woman does want ultimately to, if they're heterosexual, of course, um, you know, have that man who then becomes part of that sort of, sort of social circle. Part of that is for um, connection and, and bonding and friendship and everything else. But part of it also is societally we feel like we're incomplete. And then if that's social element too, or we feel that we're, quote unquote incomplete or there's something missing or whatever. And then maybe socially, you know, you're looked down upon. You look like something's wrong with you or whatever. And we see this in cultures too. So I just wanted to briefly mention that as well. Interesting. So I love this psychology around emotion, emotional response or the emotions around dating. And I want to talk about getting an emotional reaction from somebody 
And you can do this in your profile, your dating profile, by the power of a great photograph. You can stop men in their tracks in a split second. And you can have someone swipe right or left based on how you look. And I didn't invent the game, but it is a hot or not type of thing. Can you tell the listeners why you would have swiped left on me? How great would it be to find the love of your life, the man of your dreams? Do you believe online dating would work if you had the right tools to be successful? Well, I have exciting news. I've created your best shot at love masterclass. I cannot wait to share with you what's worked for me in my life and for many of my clients that have helped over the years. If you enroll in this class, you have a winning mindset and believe in getting help before you start something new. If you're ready to see changes in your dating life and want to take action, check out my free webinar at shotatlove.co. If you decide you're going to choose another path, that you're worth it and you're willing to enroll in the masterclass, you can also register at shotatlove.co. I designed this masterclass specifically for you to be successful. Please know that everything you're going to learn in these nine modules and six coaching calls has been carefully curated for you so you can gain the success you truly want. I will be there for you the whole time. In the meantime, I wish you all the success and I can't wait to hear about your story of finding love. I'm Carrie Brett and I will be your mentor and friend through this incredible journey. <laughs> I knew that was coming. The way you phrased it, I knew that was coming. Um, so I would have swiped left because I I need something in the bio. I have for me. I, look, I've I, I've met a lot of women who are beautiful, but sometimes they may not be that intelligent. And I'm not looking for the brightest tool in in, in, the, in the toolbox or the shed or whatever you know expression you want to use. Um, but there has to be some substance. I mean, women say this all the time. They want a guy who isn't just, you know, good looking. They want to be able to have a conversation to connect. Like we, we have mentioned a few times already. So, you know, it does go both ways. Now, when we talk about, if you're asking me why I would have swiped left, I would have wanted something in the bio where I would know a little bit about you, whether it's you like sailing or you like hockey or from Boston, so you probably like hockey anyway, but, you know, or baseball, but, you know, you know, all those, all those pieces to it. And so, you know, that plays a role in terms of part of the person's personality. You know, is there a kindness aspect to it? Because there's a lot of women who, um, not a lot, there's some women, I should say, let's be real, let's be honest. There's some women, like any, some of any group, there are some women who, um, you know, maybe good looking, but think they're hotter or hot crap, so to speak. And therefore the ego gets in the way or other things. And it happens with guys too. Guys have the ego get in the way too. Um, so that's sort of, you know, for me, why it's important. I don't want to start to spend time. Um, and I've gone on dates, giving someone a chance who was in my book, 50, 50, uh, to see where we would go. And even on dates when I knew the person had like food allergies that, or I had food allergies to their favorite food, I would still have them order their favorite food or encourage it. Um, because that's not an issue for me. I'm not like embarrassed or uncomfortable, or whatever. Um, ultimately it didn't work out for other personality reasons. But that's sort of a bit about why I would have swiped left on you because I need more than just a pretty face. Um, women say this all the time about they don't want to be treated like a piece of meat. 
Um, and guys often do sometimes, well, not often, sometimes, guys sometimes do sort of view women uh, in that traditional old school kind of way of um, whether it's ownership or whether it's, you know, only good for kitchen bed, et cetera, which I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with. I don't condone that, but I'm just simply pointing that example out of an example. Okay. So I like this conversation because even though I, I didn't use a bio because I was just kind of fed up at that time and I just felt that men wouldn't read it, but I think it's fair to say that by doing that, I just solely put the focus on the photographs and that can could appear superficial in a sense and I thought that was really interesting and the other thing I want to talk about is I took a lot of risks with the text messages that I sent and I always got a strong reaction because I did the opposite of what other women were doing online and you said that I triggered emotions from others by using words on the page Mm -hmm. in my case it was text on tinder so can you talk about the power of using words on page Oh yeah. So let's let's go very very sort of easy to understand. Whatever profession you're in, for whoever's listening, the way you well, there's reacting and reacting and responding, and we'll get there at a different point. But the way that you let's say respond, okay, the way that you respond to words in your field of business, your profession, your area of genius, your area of expertise you're going to respond in a way that's different because they're a colleague. So they're on equal footing in whatever you do professionally. Or if you're, I don't know, um, great at baseball and you're with people who know terminology very well with baseball, then that's going to create a different dynamic of equal footing. And your response to that is going to be different than if, you know, you're, you're used to just meeting someone off the street or, I don't know, with a supermarket or whatever, and it's small talk. Again, small talk, that phrase, that thing, we, we use the word thing, for example, or we use, you know, terms in that way so that we can compartmentalize in our, in our head, in our brain, to understand things quicker. And so, you know, words will get responses. Remember I said before, thoughts, then emotions, then behavior? So again, the words create a thought which then either quickly or not so quickly has emotions, and then we have behaviors. And so that's where if you had used words that aren't quote-unquote traditional, that men aren't used to, then you're going to get a way different response from men than if you use what men are expecting. And that's where things get interesting, because if a guy's expecting a response, then he knows, oh, well, this is going to go in this particular track or this particular path, so I can sort of, you know, take it in this particular way if that's what they want. For me, um, see, you mentioned Tinder in terms of pictures, which is interesting, because you could have put a lot in your picture, or it could have just been you in the picture. That's a whole other sort of topic, um, but it's just interesting to point out. I would only have myself, I, I'm on Tinder, by the way, but that's a side point, but <laughs> I would only have pictures, but at one point I thought of doing pictures plus, you know, um, some sort of background or some sort of information or whatever, um, because that would have me, would help me how she have a less of a bio. People don't always read the bios, like you mentioned, but having something I think is important. It's just a side point. Okay. You're right. People hold on to these words. I almost didn't go out with my boyfriend or write him back because he, the first thing he said, he was a fan of The Bachelor. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, what is this I guy? That. Yeah, it was kind of random, but. 
that he loves the bachelor because he's a hopeless romantic and he has a big heart and that's the thing i love about him the most is that he has a big heart and he is in touch with his feelings you know a lot about word structures and tone and you can see clearly what someone's about instantly and i hoped you could talk about how women by nature are more emotional and romantic and you don't have to watch you know we're trained on disney movies since young children to be brainwashed that our prince will come and these movies have done a really good job driving emotions around love so what kind of words or structures or things something different uh, rather than the traditional red flags that we would see or we've been taught. So you study these markers and phrases people use to rope you in. In your experience, what are some of the things that people do or say that would make people go, okay, this is a good person or this is a perpetrator? Yeah, so it's important to remember the very beginning of, of this conversation that everyone has narcissistic tendencies. Everybody does. Okay, so it's not as if there's all these, there's, there's some, you know, ways to look at things that are important, but it's not like there's a, a whole bunch of magic words. It's more about understanding patterns. Uh, words, again, words are important, obviously, and emotions are important. Um, so, for example, if, because again, women, uh, tend to um, the abuse towards women tends to, or or any any issue towards women, uh, especially when talking about narcissism, those kinds of things tend to be quite uh, a little more a little bit more or quite intense. So I would view it as like like this. I would view it as if someone's not flexible, if someone's insisting the whole time. And, that, and when I date, um, not that I date right now, but when I date, I would always sort of ask questions like, well, would you prefer this or that? And if a lot of the answers sort of ended up being in the same category, then you begin to say, wait a second here, what's going on? Uh, if things are very dominant, especially if you're going, if you're a woman going with a guy and the guy's like, no, I'm making all decisions. I'm not going to offer anything. You know, it's one thing if it's a joke here or there. It's one thing if it's playful here or there. It's one thing if, a woman sometimes wants a guy who's more demanding or more, demanding is the wrong word, wants a guy who's more decisive. Decisive is fine, but dominating, smothering is not. And there is a line that can be crossed. And that's where I'm going with this, is that um, it, sometimes, especially women are like, well, you know, he loves me and he, he's showing his love. Or, well, you know, he means it, he's showing whatever. So he, he means to, to be kind and nice to me, but he's showing it a different way or whatever. That's a flag. If you're saying that to yourself, that's a huge flag because you're telling yourself there's an issue, but you're trying to justify it because you don't want to go back on Tinder or Bumble or Coffee Meets Bagel or whatever the heck it is that you're doing, uh, that you're using. And that's fine, whatever you're using. Um, and because no one wants to start over. 
there's that element of, well, I have to now, you know, start over and find someone else and, and do the pictures again and whatever. You know, there is, again, those those emotions that are involved with it. And and then socially, we're talking about women, like I mentioned before, in a traditional sense, you know, socially, it's, you know, they're going to ask questions and you're going to have to say, well, I'm not with the guy anymore. What happened to this guy? You know, or whatever. So there also, there, there is that other element to sort of trying to justify. We as people often will justify decisions if it's easier to maintain something than it is to break it off or change it or, or, or move on. Um, and again, that's still part of that thought, emotion, behavior process and how we do a lot of what we do, honestly. Um, I don't know if I answered it entirely. No, you did. You, know, you did because precisely. They, I like that because if they're not going to bend and they're going to set this thing up all based around their wants and needs, it's a one-sided relationship and that's not going to work. And so a lot of the times these people are used to getting what they want and they set the parameters and they set up the goalposts and they are showing you that you either follow suit and sacrifice what you want or they'll move on. (laughs) So I think that's really good. And a narcissist is like a slot machine. They give you just enough to keep you in the game. And I think it's true, like you said, people don't want to start over. And so they make excuses and they deal with it. And you gave a great example about a narcissist, that a narcissist needs to feed. And it was such a chilling example. Oh, yeah. But but we've got to stop giving these con artists a long leash. Tell me why it's so difficult for people to leave a toxic situation. It's part of that emotional bonding we discussed earlier, where um, emotionally and behaviorally, in other words, you're used to a routine, you're used to having them in your life, you're used to speaking to them and that comfort and that bonding and, and sharing a laugh or whatever the case is. And so leaving, there's also that chemical aspect where chemically dopamine is, is, is also for addictions, but it's also in this case as well, we're addicted to someone. Uh, especially if we're close to them, whether it's friends or if you're dating or whatever. Um, that's why it's so hard. Or that's why you know, sometimes women are more loyal than men in some aspects too. But that's, again, another another topic. Um, but going to the narcissism piece, if I may, is I think this is a bit more um, important for me to mention, if I, if I can do that, which is, um, so narcissists love manipulation. Like they feed off that. That is like their, their big deal. And they will come off as paying attention to someone they'll come off as trying to know you know all the ins and outs in this case of a woman if we're going to use the example of a man being a perpetrator of of narcissism but ultimately it's not to know a woman because he likes the woman it's to know a woman because he needs to have someone that he can dominate over that he can manipulate that he can maneuver around that he can do you know all these different different things to emotionally feed that emotional need because the self-esteem is such a huge, huge issue. There's such a void of self-esteem for a male narcissist, for example, for women too, but we're using men as the example. And so that's a huge deal. So again, I mentioned before about extremes, right? So it's not just enough to, you know, say, Oh, okay. He's paying attention to me. Oh, he's buying me flowers. Oh, he's doing all these nice things with me or towards me or to me or for me or whatever at the beginning, whether that beginning is three months, six months, nine months or a year. But at some point, at some point, 
it becomes excessive. It's smothering. It's controlling. It's overly manipulative. And part of narcissism does play into other aspects of perhaps, you know, domestic violence, but let's stick with narcissism for a second. And it can be isolating where the, the man wants to isolate the woman because that allows him to have more control. Mm. Isolate the woman from friends, from family, from neighbors, from church or synagogue or, I don't know, the mosque or whatever you believe in. Um, but any social aspects, any human ties or any structural or entity ties, um, well, that's that's huge. That's a huge, huge, huge reply that people don't always realize because, you know, it's easy sometimes to get, get swept up in that emotion piece and then, bam, you're, you know, moving to Timbuktu with the guy or you're, you know, you know, well, he loves me, so I'm going to move there because he has a job there or whatever the case is. You know, I get that. And in some cases, yeah, that's legit, but in some cases it's not. And so understanding the patterns of just how smothering and controlling it is versus oh no, I can go shopping, I can do whatever, I have friends, I have all these different things, and we have to move because whatever, as the example I was giving, off, off a fly, so to speak. Um, so I, I wanted to just you know, mention that the narcissism piece was very, very clear, because narcissists are, are brilliant at manipulation, at um, you know all that kind of dominance through, through words manipulation, and um, psychological manipulation as well. Mm, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's like that dominance that you, that you're talking about. And then they move quickly into isolation. And so these red flags and these toxic behaviors you studied and you use every day. So I just have a few more questions, but I, I want to get your take on what do you think the most common mistake you see women making when dating? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, unfortunately, there's a few. Um, and I, look, there's gender role aspects or traditional gender role aspects that, that sort of allow for it. And in some ways, it's okay, again, if the guy is trying to be decisive as opposed to dominant, right? Um, but I think women need to know that they have more self-worth than they do, that they have more self-esteem than they do, that they, they can and should not just saying no when it comes to touching or whatever at that point, even before that, because the foundation matters more than what happens further downstream, so to speak. So in other words, what happens in the first five days, in my opinion, is more important in terms of the norms that are set and what the guy sees is what they're allowed to do or not allowed to do, or allowed to say, not allowed to say, or maybe allowed is the wrong word, but there is an aspect of permission, let's be real, uh, because part, part of sort of power and control uh, or any power for that matter uh, does sort of then play a role in their permission. So, you know, it's not completely off for me to mention the word allowed. Um, I think women really do need to, it's not just enough to process it after the date and talk to their friends after the date about it, but ultimately men, ha see for guys, we have to have a plan going in um, because we don't use three, three centers of our brain like women do. So women can often think on the fly, but then there's, a, there's a, other aspects to it. Whereas men, we have to have a plan, and we sort of try and think of that plan as best we possibly can, because it's easier for us to do it that way. And so I think women should have a plan too, honestly. I think women sort of, you know, think of, like you mentioned, fairy tales. Well, I don't really like that analogy, no offense. Um, but they do think of fairy, fairy tales and whatever, perhaps. Um, and I think it's more important to focus not on 
what you want him to be like or deeper meaning of who he is or, or, you know, what he does or whatever, but how you want that date to go, certain key topics you want to discuss and you want to actually get proper information out of. I think that'll tell more uh, than anything else in terms of how he approaches, you know, you as a woman, um, I'm not saying being dominant, but having more, more power, more dominance, in that sense, than what the guy is used to. That'll be a really good indicator as to how he responds or reacts. Absolutely. See, if he reacts, if he reacts, it's one thing. He responds to a different story. See, reaction, this is actually important. I'll tie this in here quickly here. So reacting is like a knee-jerk reaction. You go to, like, when you're a kid, you go to the doctor. doctor takes that little thing, whatever the hell it's called, and they hit your knee, and the knee goes, your leg goes back and forth, and you're like, okay, I reflexes. Yay. That's reacting. Okay? Um, when we're talking about... Um, responses responses are proper thoughts proper um sort of calculated ways in which we respond to something and that that is huge that's a it's a very big deal and you know it's not easy to respond the whole time it's very we're more prone to react because emotions will drive the reactions but if we're able to try and take a deep breath and breath work actually really helps in these kinds of scenarios. So take, take a deep breath or we use breath work and there's different, you know, techniques and stuff um, that will truly, truly help when it comes to um, reacting versus responding. That's one of many, many techniques that I could mention. Mm, I like that. So basically what I see or what I've seen when I was dating is men tell you exactly who they are in 90 seconds or less. And they do it to cover themselves. And a lot of men set up the terms, like I mentioned earlier. And they're setting up the terms for what they want. And it's not necessarily what the woman wants. And if you sell yourself short and don't believe in yourself and be this girl who goes with the flow and goes without, it's just not going to be good. It's not going to make you happy. And so... Don't be afraid to stand in your power and ask her what you want. That's basically that's what you're basically saying. You're saying that yes. women have more power and men are going to respond more favorably when you are in that power. Or if they don't respond favorably, you know that they're not the guy for you probably. Absolutely. Right. Right. And if that's the case, well, that's okay and move along. And so now my last question is, so much of your work is keeping people safe and gaining trust and all of that. And people have a hard time when they've been burned on these dating sites or from past relationships. And we all come into this with some emotional baggage. But what would your advice be for people to learn to trust again, or is there any apps that you would recommend to keep women safe? So I don't, I'm not always the best when it comes to names and stuff, I'll be honest. Um, there are a few apps that help with um, safety. I'm not referring to locator apps. I'm referring to apps where they can, you know, message friends or message 911 or whatever. Um, but some of the techniques women, women already use already is just important to go over super quickly, which is, um, having what I call a buddy system where women often do this where they'll have two or three friends or at least one friend or they'll say, Hey, I'm going on this date, you know, uh, make sure I'm not taken by Jack the Ripper, so to speak. 
Um, you know, and I'll check in at this time. It's supposed to be a two-hour gauge. Or I've had it where <laughs> this happens a lot. Where at least for me anyway, where women go uh, to the washroom, the bathroom, whatever, uh, and they may not necessarily have needed to go to the bathroom, or they're checking in with their friend. And so when the in my case, when a woman comes back, I'll be like, "It's okay if you check with your friend too, if you want." And they <laughs> usually make the joke, and sort of break the ice a little. Like, look, because I'm not. I'm not there to like, you know, cause issues and things like, you know, for me, when I date, it, it's usually like small plates for the first date. Um, because again, if, if two people aren't jiving and that happens with four people, it might be the best people in the world, but it, it could be, there's no chemistry. It's a bad day, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So you may want to be sort of over with it or move on after 30, 40, 50 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever the case is, you know, so you know, that's fine too, you know, so, you know, there's, there's those elements to it, but again, a budget system is really important. Um, I would say when it comes to dating, um, the first date, as we all know, a well, a well lit place is better. A more public place is better. Something that's less public. Um, I, I would strongly advise against. Um, but when you ask about sort of building trust, um, so building trust goes in two ways. There's different ways to look at this. Let's 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 try and find something that, that relates to dating. So, if we're talking about dating and trust, I mean, obviously, you know, like we talked about communication before about opening up and being vulnerable. I think that's important. But the way in which someone is vulnerable, are they only talking about their video games vulnerable, or are they talking about like proper vulnerability, like you know, not I don't like spiders kind of deal, but I, oh, I don't know, uh, I'm afraid of if I'm a, if I'm a woman and and having children is a big deal because not every woman has that as, as a big feeling or a big need. But if that, if the need is wanting kids, obviously not on the first date, that's the appropriate time expressing that. And guys too, sometimes have that need, believe it or not, uh, that they want to be a father. They want to actually have kids. You know, um, sometimes we, we think, okay, well, well, we'll talk about it when, when it should come up six months down the road, two years down the road, whatever. I, I know many women who pref- who prefer and respect a man for, you know, saying, you know, I would like this or I would like that. Again, not dominating, but again, on a decisive level, not domineering, not smothering, but again, on that, you know, I have these preferences kind of level and then be vulnerable about it, sharing it, actually being open about it. Um, I think that's huge. I think that does build trust. Like when I do what, what I do, you know, I, I mentioned things that were trained that we may not may not be the best thing to do in terms of, you know, talking about one's age or something about one's family or those kinds of things. Nothing nefarious or weird, of course. Um, but again, it builds trust. If, if I'm willing to share about me a little bit, then it lets the person know, wait a second, he, he really wants to help. He's, he's letting us know a bit about himself so he can connect with us better and he does want to help. So uh, trust is just about really opening up and being very blunt and vulnerable. And, 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 and honestly, it really is about seeing what the issues may be ahead of time. In other words, if the person's afraid of you because you work for the government, well, say, look, I'm some average guy. I do all these average things. Or if, if the woman's apprehensive because you know, you're very muscular and the last time she dated, and she may mention this, the last time she dated was, you know, more physically inappropriate towards her or whatever, and say, look, you know, I also, I don't know, I also pet, pet I don't know, cats. I, I don't know, something where you as a guy are saying that you're more chilled out. You know, those things, if you address the fears and you're vulnerable about the fears too, I think that's a huge deal. I hope that was that was clear enough. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think don't be afraid and trust in yourself and 
don't be afraid to ask for what you want and be truthful about who you are and the right person will be there and the wrong person won't won't and that's okay because you're not supposed to be a match for everyone so i think you had great advice and great tips and i love everything you have to say about finding love and the emotions and and just the whole thought process behind dating. So where can people find out more about you, follow you on social media, or hire you for coaching? I appreciate that. I'm actually redoing my website, but it's still active. So you can go to uh, controlandpowerstrategy.com. The name of my company is Control and Power Strategy um, because in the literature of domestic violence, it's a perpetrator, a narcissist, an abuser does they 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 do power and control. They exert power and control on uh, on the person who they're being appropriate towards. So I flip the script of, of power and control. That's how my company is called Control and Power Strategy. It's CP Strategy for short. So you, you can look up on most social media handles C underscore P underscore Strategy. Uh, that's for Twitter. That's for Instagram. Uh, and you can email. Uh, you can email me directly from the site or you can uh, get this, you know, again, verbally. It's all one word. It's a long word now. It's welcomecontrolandpowerstrategy.com, welcomecontrolandpowerstrategy.com. I'm um, sorry, at gmail.com. Oh, wow. Holy that. That's weird. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can reach out to me those ways. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff with a doctor named Dr. Jordan Shaw, for example. So you may people may know him as well. Um, and you know, he's uh, more of an academic and, and uh, biologist and those kinds of things. And so together we're trying to help reshape dating is one of our, our things we're doing actually, uh, workplace environments too. Um, uh, but you can reach out to me directly, uh, through control and power strategy.com. Perfect. And uh, if I can need any help to anybody, please let me know. Seriously. Oh, you're so great. And you really, truly want to help people. So I'm so appreciative for your time today. You were a great guest. Well, and they also can find you on Clubhouse and Owl. <laughs> yes, they can. Yes, they can. <laughs> All right. So thanks so much for coming on Shot Love. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And for now, this week, Shot at Love dating tips, which are inspired by our guest, Will Castleman. Number one. It's not what happens to you in life that determines your future. It's how you respond to what happens to you. Number two, strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't. Number three, the strongest people aren't always the people who win, but the people who never give up. Number four, you don't have to be phenomenally skilled to succeed. You need to be phenomenally willed. And when it comes to finding love, if you keep trying, I promise it will happen. I hope you found some of my tips helpful this week. This is what Shot at Love is here for. To help you find love. Keep up the commitment to yourself and commit to helping someone else by sharing this podcast. Shot at Love is now airing on iHeartRadio Live on Power Me Up Radio Talk 24-7. So tune in to the station with heart on iHeart. Stay safe and stay tuned for more episodes. I'm Carrie Brett and we'll see you next time.